This is Paul Kubak, and you're listening to More Than a Club, the podcast. On today's show, we welcome a true lacrosse professional and humble warrior, another local Springfield Delco legend, Drew Adams. Drew attended Springfield High School and graduated as a 2005 All-American, who also earned the 2005 Philadelphia Inquirer Player of the Year and Springfield Male Athlete of the Year Awards. At Penn State University, Adams was a three-time All-American and the Nittany Lions all-time leader in saves. He was also ECAC Rookie of the Year and ECAC Goalie of the Year twice while serving as a team captain in his senior year. In addition, he was a three-time collegiate honorable mention All-American. Adams played for the MLL New York Lizards from 2009 to 2018. He played in the MLL All-Star Game six times and helped the Lizards to the league championship in 2015. In the MLL, Adams was a five-time All-Star and three-time Goalie of the Year award recipient. He anchored a defense that captured the 2015 MML Championship and moved to the PLL to play for the Archers Lacrosse Club. On the international stage, Adams helped guide the U.S. to the silver medal at the 2014 World Championships. Lastly, Drew was inducted into the Eastern Pennsylvania chapter of the USA Lacrosse Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. We are are most honored to welcome him to today's show. Let's go! Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Leahy. Welcome back to a More Than a Club podcast for episode 10, season 4. I'm your co-host Bill Leahy, along with Marty Cuprian. We're excited to be back and with all of our listeners as we continue catching up on season 4. Coop, we're back. Thanks, Bill. Really excited here in the heart of lacrosse season. Uh, We play in May. I remember Ridley High School wearing the We Play in May shirts, May lacrosse. Uh, Delaware Blue Hens taking on Marist in the play-in game tonight. A lot of good high school lacrosse going towards the playoffs. So really fired up for tonight's show to have a local legend in here. Um, but Bill, just wanted to thank you for, for keeping the momentum going with the show. No worries, bud. I was having my own drought. I couldn't listen to it when I was laid up. Once we ran out of our shows, I was like, we got to get back in there. So thrilled to be back. Go for it. You guys are killing it over there. Yeah, having a lot of fun. Glad to be a part of it and definitely thinking about a lot of the lessons we've learned on the show. Follow the spearhead right now. We have uh, some senior captains kind of leading us to places that um, most of the rest of the roster has never gone. So really fun. Uh, With that, let's introduce today's guest and say hi to Drew Adams. Drew, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me, guys. We really appreciate it. Drew, I've always been a huge fan. Uh, I think you're a couple years younger than me but from a couple towns over and uh, a lot of mutual friends, uh, Dukes Lacrosse Club connections, and then following you through Penn State to the pros, Team USA, and then through a ton of coaching and seeing your influence. So uh, really just wanted to welcome you um, on behalf of everyone in our listening audience and everyone with Next. It's, It's really exciting to talk to you today and get to learn from you. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be the younger guy in the room for once. I've played for a long time, so I uh, haven't had that luxury in a little while. Um, but the yeah, feeling is mutual. We've been, uh, you know, uh, teammates, foes, friends, and acquaintances for a while. So it's good to be here with you guys and um, spend some time. And for me, we played against each other. I coached against you, and it's nice to have you sitting there and not in the six by six. Yeah, totally. Our, you know, our relationship coaches. Uh, you know, I'm glad it's it's matured over the years, and you know, always admired you as a as a coach and a person. So it's good to become friends now and uh, have you know the opportunity to do more together and things like this. We had some great games against one. We, we did. We did. You guys came out on on the right end of those a lot of the time, but good nonetheless. One of the yeah. things I loved about playing Delco was your zip codes. Everybody we were proud of it. We were proud of it. Lined up and sending us a message. Yeah, that was before Delco is was a thing like it is now with like, you know, the, you know, new media and everything. Delco has been embraced more widely. Uh, We were ahead of the curve at at Springfield. I loved it. And the Mecca, the Mecca over there. So many memories. So, uh, Drew, before we kind of get into today's quick topics, could you just give us an update on life in retirement? Where do you live? What's family life like? And how are things? 
Sure. I live in, in Villanova on the, on the Delco side, so I haven't strayed too far. Um, I've got two awesome kids, five and three, a uh, five-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. And uh, yeah, I work, I work uh, a full-time job in the sports space for a company called Roku. Um, so sports and technology, which I have a passion for both. And uh, it's been a good, good way for me to you know, step away from playing, but still be involved in sports. Uh, I get to do that for a living, which is really neat. And then, um, yeah, with, with my kids, you know, starting to get more involved with sports as well, especially my, my son's starting to play lacrosse a little bit, which is cool to see. Um, yeah, so that that's what keeps me keeps me busy and was really the impetus for retiring because I had, a you know, a good professional career off the field to pursue and, and family to spend time with. Well, five and a three-year-old, you're in the magic years. I am, and sometimes I wish I hadn't retired quite yet. So, yeah, it depends what day you catch me. But, yeah, they're, they're special times. That's a great lead-in to our next segment, Youth Sports Hot Topic, something for parents. Uh, maybe a tip, something to understand, uh, a story. Um, do you have something for parents out there listening? Yeah, so I, I can just speak from experience with mine. And the one thing that comes to mind is just unconditional support. So, uh, you know, I never felt pressure from my parents uh to, you know, and it wasn't just on the athletic field, honestly, but in the classroom as well, um, to, you know, live up to any certain standard. You know, their uh, communication with me after a game uh, was, you know, pretty even keeled, regardless of whether it was a great game or, or a bad one. Uh, and it was just really nice to have that unconditional support. And I think, you know, today's parents can totally, you know, take a page out of that book and learn from that, that, you know, there's more, uh, you know, there's more to your relationship with your, your, your kid and what you can do for them, you know, uh, than, you know, reacting to how they play on a field, whether that be good or bad. So I know that can be hard at times because there's a lot of emotion in sports in particular. Um, but being able to have that even keeled relationship with your, 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 your son or daughter and um, being able to support them unconditionally, I think it's just such a comforting thing that you can provide as a parent. And uh, certainly helped me and uh, gave me the confidence to just go out and play without um, without much worry. Did your family have lacrosse background? I was like, did your dad know what was happening out there? Because mine sure didn't. When yeah. I was up. Uh, my dad didn't know. He was a soccer and a baseball player. So I remember playing with him in the backyard and throwing him a lacrosse ball into a baseball glove and he would throw it back. Uh, like that was, you know, early years, but it happens. And I see that time to time now when I'm out and about. And I always like will go up to that person and joke. So oh, I remember being this, you know, being in this position as well. Um, so, yeah, he kind of learned the game along with me. And uh, my my mom did play. She uh, she played uh, lacrosse and field hockey, so she knew it, you know, probably better than anybody else in our family. And uh, but I definitely got my competitive spirit and um, you know athletic interest from from both my parents. So what did post game look like? Let's say you win, you lose, you get in the car. There's so many LaSalle parents who would break it down, number yeah. of shots by their kid. And my dad was more like, "How did you serve your brothers? And did you have fun today?" Yeah, I think um, my mine was more akin to yours. You know, I. Um, you know, my dad was a man, a man of few words, uh, and my, you know, my mom was, you know, just, uh, un, unbiasedly, uh, supportive. So yeah, usually post game was, you know, subtle observations maybe. Um, but you know, never anything, you know, that made, made me feel, you know, too, too strongly one way or another around how I, how I did individually. Um, you know, it was, it was more so uh, just support anywhere it could be found and, you know, maybe a few observations here and there. But again, um, really un unconditional support regardless of the performance. Like the advice. So now we'll move on to my favorite part. Let's break it down. X and O's coach. <laughs> Goaltending. You know, when I was working with goalies at LaSalle for all those years, I always thought, you know, first save the ball, which means you have to be technically sound, be mentally tough and be able to lead the team. I broke it down into those three. I think I grew to change near the end, and I'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But do you agree with those three principles to start? Yeah, for sure. And I think just uh, to add um, an element to that, I think you need to have all three. Um, whereas if you might have one uh, and not the other, or two and not the third, like I, I think part of being a, a good goalie is just having you know the ability to have a little bit of all of those. And you might not need to excel in each way, right? But uh, I think just, you know, in order to have a degree of success, you need to have, a, an, you know, a little bit of all of those ingredients. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do agree. So uh, for the young goalies who are listening, we talk about saving the ball. Right? That takes muscle memory on form. 
and you were one of the best there was. When I watched you play, I was like, his form is outstanding. That's intimidating right there. He looks, <laughs> he looks like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. How, did you, how did you develop your form, and what suggestions would you have for a young person listening? Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, it's, it's not a perfect science. So there's not one you know, way you need to, to play goalie, uh, especially in lacrosse. And I think that should be exciting for a lot of young goalies because they don't need to necessarily fit a mold. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of coaching with Brian Doherty and Doc and I always said like, there's, there's maybe some non-negotiables, like things you can do to be more efficient and fast. Right. But there's a lot of different ways you can go about doing that. So yeah, for young goalies, it's, you know, it's exploring what, you know, you, you end up being best at, right. Trying different styles, watching guys play, um, taking little pieces from as many, you know, uh, older players as you can and, and, you know, going out in the backyard or at practice or even in games and trying different things. Um, I think that's, you know, such an important, um, you know, skill to develop for young goalies. But at the end of the day, um, you know, just understanding there's not one perfect way to play and you can be successful in a lot of different ways. Um, but it really is just about putting that time in to figure out what's going to work best for you and, um, you know, just, just really developing those, those skills. So you mentioned non-negotiables. Can you think of a couple? I can for sure. <laughs> Great. Uh, you know, you, you think about like every goalie's goal is to save the ball with their stick. It's not always the case. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw any body part it takes to keep the ball out of the net. But one thing comes to mind is your hands. Uh, and this was actually something that in high school, I, I didn't think I did as well in hindsight. And then, um, my, college coach Guy Van Arsdale, who was a goalie at Hobart and a le legendary goalie, um, you know, had kind of taught me like my first or second week on campus at Penn State was, where, you know, my, my elbow positioning. Um, so at, in high school, I would play with my, my elbows really far out uh, away from my body. Um, and, you know, it served me well at that point. But, you know, as you move up levels, you need to make adjustments to keep pace with, with who you're playing against. And, uh, Coach Van, I remember distinctly uh, videotaped me at practice in a warm-up from like a, a side angle. And after practice, we went in and we broke it down. And um, what I saw was like I would make little movements between, you know, when I was in my position, the ball would move. I would make a movement and then react to get my stick to the ball. So I was adding an extra, extra step, you know, to every save for really no reason. Um, and that comes back to that efficiency concept that, that hey, we're only talking talk nanoseconds there, but yeah, but at that level big, it matters. Yeah. You know, it's the difference, you know, over the course of a season of a bunch of saves that could result in, you know, wins or losses. Um, so long story short coach, I would, you know, then adjust in my position where I would bring my elbows in a little closer to my body in just a way that when you looked at it on tape and, um, you know, you could see that, okay, I was just making one move to make you know, the save versus these little micro moves to get there. And, and, and it adds up. I will say like, um, you know, it, anytime you, you make a change, especially as a goalie at that level too, right. I was in college, freshman in college at this point, you know, first couple of weeks on campus trying to prove myself. Now I'm already making adjustments. Like I definitely took a step or two backwards. I remember just struggling and like, going to coach and just saying like, is are you sure about this? Like I, I it wasn't just, you, I was doing pretty well before and now you got me and you know, fortunately I stuck with it. You know, he was supportive of it. And, uh, I think it, you know, honestly it paid dividends throughout the rest of my career. And I do think if I hadn't had been open to, you know, uh, feedback and making adjustments and I could point to a bunch of different examples throughout the course of my career, but I, I always felt like I was open to trying new things and evolving as a player. And, um, it helped me then and kind of set the course for my college career, but it's helped me um, throughout the, the course of my, my professional career as well. Third point I had was to lead, and that's one I wavered on later in my career. That's actually Coach Resch, our mutual friend, who came up and said, you know, the goalie we have right now, I think he can save the ball, and I think that he's mentally tough, but we're asking him to do one more thing he can't do, which is lead the team. He said, you know, when I look at the PLL goalies, the, the shots are just so hard. We ask him just to save the ball now, not so much lead everything. So maybe we ought to do that with this guy. Thoughts? Yeah, it's just, again, it's an important ingredient because um, lacrosse is a team sport, but the goalie's on an island, right? He's, he's kind of down, you know, down there by himself a lot of the times, and I think it's just a position that has a lot of influence over the rest of the team. Um, and a little bit of an aside, but, like, I think a backup goalie can be one of the biggest leaders on a team because they're the ones – 
seeing extra shots after and before practice and, you know, might not get the glory in a game, but, you know, they can inspire a team. I've seen, I've been on teams where the backup goalie has really been a big leader on the team. Um, and, you know, there, there's, a, there's, there's a strong role to be played there. Um, but in terms of, you know, the guy that is seeing the majority of the reps on the field, again, it's like a guy that, you know, the team is looking to a lot. Um, and it's a muscle that's a little bit different to develop than especially the, the first one that you mentioned, right? The ability to save the ball, right? There's things you can practice. It's more tangible, right? hey look at this video or i'm going to take a thousand shots to this position because you know you you don't move well there right it's it's a little bit uh more tangible in, in the sense that you can work on it um but the, you know the mental part which is part two we, we skimmed over a bit but then the third with the leadership it's it's a, just a different muscle and i think there's different ways to develop that um but it's definitely an important um an important aspect. I, just the last thing on this, like there's different ways to be a leader. Um, I was never a vocal leader. Uh, I played with a lot of vocal leaders and I, you know, I think there's a good balance there. Um, for me, I always tried to lead, um, first by example, uh, you know, I tried to, to work really hard, uh, and, and set a standard there. And, um, I, I think in, a, in addition to that, like was always willing to understand like where I could fit in as well. Like I, for me, it was always less is more. I was never going to be the rah rah vocal guy, but I would be the guy that when something needed to be said, maybe we had a couple bad games or a bad quarter or a bad half. That's when I would would weigh in more. Really good stuff there. Uh, just take us back to the start with goalie. Were you a lacrosse player before? Getting that position, and do I remember like a hockey background tying in? Just kind of rewind to the early yeah. days there and and where you learned yeah so i picked up a sick uh, fourth grade in springfield i think and it was mainly because of friends who had older brothers who were playing and um my i had two older brothers one of uh, actually both who were playing at that oh you time. did yeah so okay. you know it was exposed to me a little bit through that um but yeah i started as uh, you know i'm really a midi i was taking some face-offs a special specialty guy all, all along uh and then played some attack as well but yeah, I played uh, hockey, ne never really like organized hockey, but you know, as a kid, you know, you play a ton of street hockey. That yeah. and, I, and I was always the goalie. I grew up in a neighborhood okay. where there were some older kids and no one wanted to play goalie and I was old enough to step in and, and do that. So yeah, that's, that, that is what kind of set me down, you know, the goalie path. And then, uh, yeah, eighth grade, um, we had one goalie on the team. He broke his collarbone, like right in the beginning of the season, no backup at that point. And it was like, Hey, who's, is anyone qualified to do this? And since I, you know, gravitated towards it, playing hockey with friends, I, I raised my hand and stepped into it. And, um, yeah, I never looked back. It's like listening to the goalie whisperer. It's outstanding. You could do this for a while, but we're going to jump to players who are listening. And often we focus on culture building. And you've had some amazing experiences at the professional level, international level. Can you think back to some teams or, or some culture exper experiences that made a difference in your life and, and how? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I've been so lucky to play with so many awesome teammates and for so many awesome coaches. And, you know, I've learned a lot from different, um, different teams that I've been on. Um, the year that we won the championship in the MLL, 2015, it was a really neat mix of people. Um, you know, we had superstars at that point, Paul Rabel and Rob Pinnell, who were trying to figure out how to play together on the same team and, and share the one ball that was on the field and saw those guys make a lot of sacrifices um, in order, you know, for the team to be successful. Uh, there was one guy on that team who, you know, most people, at least my generation know well, Brian Spelina, who had been a journeyman at that point. He was on the tail end of his career, you know, had been all over, but had won a ton. Um, you know, I think he's he's probably one more than any player today. I would I would think, uh, if not, it's 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 you know he's he's certainly up there, and he just did one thing. I remember, like he kind of cut through um, all the BS with the team and the egos on the team. Uh, you know, right right out of the gates, like in training camp. You know, Long Long Island, some random high school. You know, in the in the early spring, freezing cold, and I just remember him like not taking any BS from anybody, um, and kind of setting a precedent really early on that like, you know, we're a team that on paper should win a championship this year, but we won't if we don't all make some concessions and and more importantly like understand where we play a role in the team's success. And 
um, that's actually a lesson, you know, that I took, I take into like my life, right? Just like where, what is the role, right? Like I'm not going to win this game or I'm not going to do X and Y, you know, professionally by myself. Like where can I contribute value and what do I need to do in order to help the team? And, um, yeah, we, I think that year in particular, everyone bought into that and did a really good job. And, um, I think that was led by Spelina early on, just setting that precedent. Man, that's incredible. Um, so New York Lizards, you took me back there. I'm picturing like, the <laughs> uniforms and yeah. uh, the sponsors and the patches and all that stuff. But fun to follow. How about uh, with Team USA? Like, who was on that roster in 2014 World Games? Um, who were the, the coaches? And what, were, what, were, what are the memories from playing for Team USA? Yeah, I mean, incredible memories. I mean, unfortunately, one of the first that comes to mind is the fact that we didn't win. Uh, you know, you kind of, your mind just gravitates there, and that, that still stings. Uh, I feel like we, we let a kind of golden opportunity slip through our, our fingers that, that, that year. Um, but, yeah, in a similar fashion as to that Lizards team in 2015, I mean, when you get to that point, and, and on a team like that, you know, everyone is basically, a, you know, an alpha or one of the best, if not the best at that point, player player in the world. So um, it just, you know, it takes a unique, um, you know, leadership style from the coaches. You know, it was, it was uh, Coach Richie Mead at that point, came yeah. from Navy. And, you know, the assistants were, were... Just so you know, some of our listeners are so young, like they might not even oh, remember. I, I'm really, so I know I got you, yeah, I got you yeah, hot here. I didn't mean to, but... Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's Just, good. I'll, I'll but even, Rich, some even more, Richie Mead, for yeah. some of our younger lacrosse parents, like they might not know the formal, yep. former Na- Naval Academy coach Correct. and where he was. And Yep. So. yep. No, that's a, it's a good point. I need to know my audience here. And then the assistants were uh, Coach Tambroni, who's at mm-hmm. Penn State now, and uh, Coach Petro, who was at Hopkins forever. And yeah, now that's huge. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then we had a great, you know, supporting staff, Coach Saluka and Coach Cassis. Um, but all those guys I just rattled off were our intense dudes. Um, yeah, you sure are. You didn't have. They probably the, weren't too happy. No, yeah, they weren't happy with the outcome, but it was a lot to walk into, right? Like you're getting guys who have had a ton of success playing, who've won championships on every level. And now not only are you playing for Team USA, but you're also, um, you know, being led by this group of, you know, tough guys, right? Like it, in, in a lot of ways, they took, you know, their college attitude and brought it to that team. I think that, you know, they made adjustments to the audience, but it was, it was tough. And, um, you know, I think that just – again in a similar vein as the the lizards team who you know personalities made concessions for the greater good i think that was the case with that team as well where everyone just bought into the system we realized right away it was going to be a little more rigid and um you know guys just followed suit and embraced it and still had an incredible um experience albeit with a tough tough loss and before we move on i got to talk to you about canadians right you've played with them and of course in the world team against them first thoughts when i say let's talk about canadians yeah i mean my first thought is like it's it's great to see how they've grown our sport and in the u.s in particular you know the 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 game is is evolved a lot because of them um as more guys have embraced indoor and that canadian style of playing like i remember you know being drilled as a kid before i made the move to goalie Hey, you got to be able to dodge lefty, dodge righty, alley dodge, shoot on the run, right? Like that's how we were taught to play. And that's how the game was played for a long time. And in the last decade, that hasn't been the case, right? You can be successful with just one hand. Uh, You can be successful playing pick and roll games, being, you know, savvy. Like they've just evolved the game. And I I think what I think is a good way. Um, And I mean, they're a treat to play with. They're, you know, not to stereotype, but they're just great guys all around. And tough. Um, they're tough as hell. And again, like a lot of them lead by example, by just being tough, being gritty, you know, knowing how to win. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, 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 you know, you hate to play against them. I, you know, never liked playing against rosters that had a lot of Canadians because they're just tough to match up against as a team and especially as a goalie you know they're used to shooting on a little six by six so or uh i don't even know what the dimensions are four by four maybe so when they get on the six by six you know it looks huge and you just they're hard they're hard to save so um yeah or you know they're 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 great for the sport it's been good to see them evolve it the way they have and um great to play against or you know hate to play against but great to play with we're going to move on now to our guest roundtable section of the show 
we're going to fire some questions at Drew to learn a little bit more about him and to hit more on the themes that he's mentioned so far. Drew, we covered a bunch of your youth lacrosse experiences. So who were influential coaches along your journey? Yeah, um, I mean, I was really fortunate to grow up in Springfield, Delaware County, which I was at the time and continues to be, you know, a really good place to be a lacrosse player. Um, and, and it really boils down to the community of lacrosse players there and, and coaches and, and families. Um, I mean, some of my earliest memories, not just with um, – with with sports but just in in general involved you know lacrosse families in in springfield and um you know one coach in particular through my my youth years was uh a gentleman named sean duffy who uh was the uh, eighth grade coach at the time and i i remember being like a fifth and a sixth grader and you're always watching you know guys a couple years older right you're in eighth grade you're watching the high school play i, I remember being at that fifth and sixth grade year and going to those eighth grade games and watching those teams and those guys play and coach duffy you know being being um you know kind of the leader of the, that group at the time and um you know have become a lifelong friend with him i he went to school with his daughters. One of his daughters actually married one of my knucklehead friends from Penn State. That's another story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just a guy that uh, in a similar fashion to my parents uh, just had a very you know, empathetic demeanor and really just wanted us to have fun. Right. Like he was producing good lacrosse players, but that wasn't his goal. Like his goal was just for us to have a great time and to be good teammates and friends and take some lessons with us. Um, and he, he was instrumental in just like building a foundation for me to enjoy the sport. Um, you know, we were learning it, playing it hard, but he, you know, made it fun. Um, on that staff as well was a guy named Mike Seaman who um, played at Notre Dame. Uh, he came back at the time he seemed old, but he was probably 25 when he was coaching us. Uh, and I remember him just like repeatedly shooting the ball at me um, hard and from pretty close distance and just thinking it was hilarious when I would keel over and, and, you know, probably shed a lot of tears at the time. Um, but he, you know, he, he was just a tough guy. And I remember, you know, just embracing his demeanor and enjoying spending time with him. And he definitely helped me develop as a player and, and learn to just be tough and stand in there. And, um, cause that is a part of the position is, is to your point, right. Having that, that mental, that mental toughness, he helped me develop that for sure. And then, um, you know, as I got as I got older in high school, and t to this day, Mike Friel was probably the most impactful coach I've had, um, because you're just at such an important important point in your career, right? You're you know, at that point he took over Springfield when I was a sophomore, and I didn't really play my freshman year, and you know was just at that point. It's like you just kind of it's becomes make or break, or it's getting to that point, right? When when you're at that point in, in high school, and I just remember Coach Friel coming in. You know, he was a Ridley guy. So when we we really disliked Ridley guys at that point, it's might have field. even been coaching at or he, teaching at Ridley. He was teaching at Ridley. Yeah, yeah, he was he was teaching at Ridley at that point. I remember us finding out he was taking over and just saying like, "Oh, this isn't good, right?" Like, <laughs> we're, we're you know, new coaching regime change. We're all trying to like figure out how to play high school lacrosse. Now we have this Ridley guy coming in, and yeah, I just remember he he being just so kind of charismatic at the time. He was young, he was energetic, he and he was just loved it. Like he, you know, he was he just poured what seemed like his life into it at that point and like it was infectious. And you know, I think for me that's when I really started to focus on lacrosse not just as a sport but as a lifestyle. And um yeah, to this day I think he's been the most impactful coach I've had and just instilled uh, a confidence in me that I think at that point in my career that I needed and, um, you know, it helped everything else fall into place. I know what you mean when you say a Ridley guy, <laughs> but our listeners might not. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about Ridley, the tradition, and why it was such a great rival for you and for us. Yeah. And we stole so much from Ridley uh, in order to grow our program, and they made a big difference. I have a Ridley shirt at my home, and I still look at that, and they're part of, like, LaSalle lacrosse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just such a part of the the fabric and history of lacrosse in southeastern Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, they they were just such a gritty, passionate team and town and community and, you know, salt of the earth uh, that I've learned a lot later in life that these people are, you know, just like us, right? Springfield borders Ridley, so it's not, we're not 
you know, I'm Mythical. talking about different yeah. countries here, right? It's but it just, was a dirt field and yeah, the folks on their balconies, just, their porches, yeah, yelling at you. It, exactly. You know, the high school, you know, field was one thing in that setting. But I remember going to Ridley and playing Folsom you know, Boys Club. Yeah, and, Folsom Boys Club. And truly, you're right. Dirt fields, rocky fields. And Springfield had that, too. It, don't get me wrong. We, we absolutely did. Um, but, yeah, they you just knew when you played Ridley, you were going to play against a bunch of really tough gritty kids who were also really really good lacrosse players and coached really well and matt flynn and you know that whole coach ellers yeah coach ellers just man iconic guys in that still to this day but especially within that you know my generation of players um and it yeah ultimately made me better right it pushed me i i mean i remember playing against a guy his name was Vinny d'angelo and Vinny was a beast i mean he was a grown man in eighth grade and i remember being in seventh grade i was playing um, you know, got to play against the eighth graders. And I just remember saying like, man, this guy is a grown, a grown man. And yeah. I'm a little boy compared to this guy. And like, you just got that with them and they were tough and gritty and yeah, they made, they made you better. You might've been scared to play against them, but they definitely made you better. Yeah. Structured, disciplined. They beat you seven to two and you swore you got beat 15 to two. Yep. yep they, exactly. They'd win a face off, hold the ball forever, score, Back to the face-off X, same thing. Yep. Finally, you get a possession. You're down 3 nothing. You haven't yep. seen the ball in minutes. You rush it. You uncork a dumb one. Yeah, back the other end. They methodical. hold it. Yeah, yeah, methodical, like a boa constrictor, just <laughs> pulling you apart slow. Yeah, so we got to know some of those Ridley guys on the Dukes Lacrosse Club when Philly kind of just had, like, one club. So, you know, one of the questions for you is talk about your recruitment um, between high school and club. What was it like back then, and, and how did that go for you as a, a standout goalie? Yeah, I mean, it was always a bit of a learning, you know, learning, re- reacting at that point. Like, I, you know, I was the first one in our family to go through, like, sports recruitment process, so it was new to my parents. It was new to me. It starts early, you know. I, I think it probably was, you know, they put some rules in place, and but at the end of the day, it still starts early. You start thinking about that stuff in seventh and eighth grade, so it's always in the back of your mind. But yeah, during my time, there you know there was less opportunity from a club perspective, so there was really one you know the Dukes at that point, um, you know, and there were a few others. Comp Edge had a team, and some some of the schools started to put teams out. But yeah, I mean, most of the you know solid standout players from you know this area during that time were playing for dukes um so i remember getting the opportunity to start you know start doing that and first it's like you know a bit of a relief you're like okay i'm actually can be part of this group and um that's you really the first introduction to playing with guys you know from other schools as well so speaking the ridley guys right there's some ridley guys on there there's some guys from all over so it's your first you know you know your first introduction to these guys that you've like learned to really dislike and you you realize quickly oh i i like these guys they wear different colors but they're they're good guys so you know that club process um you know definitely helped me again like build the relationships in lacrosse and find the love for the game because you realize you know just how good of a community it is um but yeah playing for playing for dukes was uh you know it was an exciting time um you know we played remember traveling down to like um it was a boys latin or st paul's playing in tournaments down there you get you're getting out of your little bubble here too it it, it offered that um and it, it, it was neat a lot of guys have played with you know marty like you know we still see and spend time with and have connected with later in life from those teams so so where does penn state and the other schools that were recruiting you come into the picture yeah, so, you know, being recruited as a goalie, I think, is particularly unique, depending on what your, your goals are, because um, there's only one guy on the field. So it's not like being a, you know, mid-year attacker or defenseman. I can work my way into a rotation somewhere. It's like, hey, like, there's one really good guy. He's a year older than me, and he's probably going to play for the next three or four years. So, it you know, I remember thinking, and that was, you know, again, everyone has a different criteria for what their goals are for lacrosse. And if that involves college, then you have a different set of goals um, based on, you know, what schools you're looking at going to. For me at the time, I mean, I was focused on going somewhere competitive that I could play. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to go have an impact on a program, be able to compete, you know, against other really good players from across the country. And I looked at, you know, a, a bunch of different schools. Um, you know, I remember taking visit, a visit up to Syracuse. Uh, I remember talking to Coach Cottle, who was at Maryland at the time. 
uh, Loyola was on, was on, was on my list. Um, and then, yeah, a bunch of others. I mean, I was definitely fortunate to have some, some interest. Um, but for me, Penn state was, uh, one, it was comfortable. My, my older brother went to school there. I had a, an uncle that went to school there. It was three hours from home. My parents really liked it. My parents were both, you know, public school teachers. Like they thought going to Penn state was like the creme de la creme. Um, they didn't realize like I, I could have probably went to Penn or Cornell and, you know, you know, had a, had a different experience to them. You know, they, they weren't pushing me in that direction at all. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I gave it a, a hard look at, at the time and this will resonate to the viewers, uh, or listeners. The guy that recruited me there was Lars Tiffany, who was, um, you know, the assistant at Penn State and, you know, had taken a couple jumps post post Penn State, but now, you know, is UVA head coach. So uh, I was really honestly drawn to that school by by Lars. Um, I remember going on my recruiting visit and, you know, just being like, wow, I really like this guy. I can I can see myself playing for him, building relationship for him. At the time, he was hoping, you know, he was going to take over as the head coach there because Coach Thiel had been there for a long time. So I think he was, in his mind, kind of setting up for that move, which unfortunately never came to fruition. But I, I just remember, and my parents as well, really liking Lars um, as a person. And then he did a great job of selling the school as well. So unfortunately, I never got to play for him because he, you know, he left uh, before before I got on campus. But you know, I, I'm probably the least surprised person that he's been able to go on and now, you know, do what he's done at UVA and have the impact that he's had there. Who did you play for? I played for Glenn Thiel and Guy Van Arsdale. And for a little bit, Coach Connery, Kevin Connery, who's at Michigan now. Um, yeah, so again, like an, another guy. And he was, you know, now that I have this historical context, like Coach Connery seemed like an old guy at the time, but he was probably only <laughs> a year or two at Hopkins. Uh, and he was our defensive coordinator. Uh, for for a little while, and uh, Travis Johnson was there as well um, for the years that Coach Connery wasn't. But he's the head coach at NJIT. Yeah, was? NJIT. Yeah. He was. Yeah, yeah he was. Um, so yeah, no surprise that Coach Connery's. You know, Michigan's hot right now. They look good, and no one wants to play them. Um, they they knocked out Penn State in the Big the Big Ten, and uh, it, it's cool to see. Honestly, like I I'm, I look at now, I'm like I'm proud of Coach Connery. Like I really liked playing for him, and I'm glad I got to when he was just a you know, a third assistant D coach early in his career. And now to see him win a big 10 championship is, is really cool. I mean, it sucks that they had to be Penn state along the way, but, uh, I I'm rooting for him. Do you have a favorite Penn state memory or heartbreak? Oh man. You know, my experience there was like defined by ebbs and flows, honestly, especially on the lacrosse field. Um, you know, I, I regret we didn't, do more on the field. Uh, I thought we, you know, always had the talent to, and, you know, we just never got over the hump when I was there. Um, so I think from a heartbreak perspective, it, it, it's not a single game. It's just kind of a general, man, if I had to do this all over again, what could I have done differently given what we had to have some more success, right? Make a tournament, go deep in a tournament, you know, w you know, win a, win a conference at the time, right? Just those things that, you know, you don't realize later in life you look back on them and, and like, you know, they're just out of your grasp, right? You wish you could, you could grab them. Um, you know, from a, from a, a, in a positive note, um, I think the guys I got to play with were just an awesome group of guys. And you find that at so many teams, right? Like so many teams, the, this sport just brings a great person to it. And, um, but you know, my friends at Penn State or teammates at Penn State are lifelong friends. Um, I got to see Chris Hogan go and, you know, win two Super Bowls. Right. Uh, wow. So he was, a, you know, a teammate for a number of years at Penn State to see his trajectory post, um, you know, post lacrosse has been really cool. And it's been fun to brag about him and, you know, inevitably get will get asked, hey, did you play, <laughs> you play with this guy? Like, um, so that that's cool uh, and has, has been something, you know, that I've, I've hung my hat on a bit. Although I'm a loyal alum, in a couple months I'll be a Penn State dad. Yeah, so my son I, will be a freshman I, next year I, I on Ag Hill. We're ready to go. He's got a futon ready for you. No, we're ready to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll, let's stay on the Penn State topic. So obviously you laid the foundation, and, and years later we're able to see the program take steps and you know get the first uh, NCAA tournament wins, conference championships, all that. Uh, how about the story with Grant Ament and – the commercial when you were in the MLL or working for Maverick and he was a little guy. Um, 
and, and just kind of how things came full circle, you know, many years later when he's taken Penn state to, to places they had not been. Yeah. I mean, I, this is one of my favorite full, full circle stories from, from my time playing. Um, but yeah, I graduated from Penn state. I, I went and worked at Maverick lacrosse for almost a decade. And, uh, we had a photo shoot for a commercial and everyone at Maverick, uh, who was working there was also like an actual lacrosse player, like the photo shoot, the, production company doing the shoot was um you know owned by jay jalbert who was one of the best you know uva players of all time best lacrosse players of all time so anyway we were down in the philly area we were at shipley and you know part of the um, commercial you know required like a younger player there was a look back and the guy at the time was i think it was pete Puyan, um who you know was the pro player he was looking back so grant was was casted to be the you know the young pete Puyan. And yeah, we got to catch up after the shoot. You know, he had just had a little small thing in it and we got a picture together. And, uh, you know, I remember asking him like, hey, like, where do you want to go to college? So you're making small talk with, you know, a kid at the time. And he's like, oh, I want to go to Penn State. I'm going to Harvard School. And just remember him even at the time being like mature and like, oh, he actually like has this kind of figured out. And Some swag. Yeah, good luck. Like it's <laughs> yeah. everyone wants to do everyone. this. But, um yeah, long, you know, and the rest at that point, you know, now everyone knows the history. Grant's been, you know, probably the best player to ever go through Penn State. Uh, you know, he didn't just go there, but he, you know, took them to a Final Four and, you know, really helped push that program forward uh, more so than I think anyone has done. And he's had a great group of guys to do that with, but he was an instrumental part in that. And then, yeah, we got to play together for a couple of years uh, in the pro leagues, which is definitely one of the highlights of my career, being able to see something like that and that story come full circle and being able to spend time with him. And it was a, it's neat because I was on the very end of my career and he was just starting his. So it was, it was a neat dynamic where, you know, I could see him just seeing, you know, the, the future that it was going to hold for him and me kind of closing the door. And uh, it was just a special relationship that we got to start to build and, you know, we remain friends and, um, and his biggest fan at this point. Let's talk about your pro career. Three-time goalie of the year, six-time All-Star, one MLL championship, yep. and then onto the PLLs. Yep. So while you might have had some semi-regrets at Penn State, you sure didn't have them in the pros. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I definitely found my stride there. Um, it was funny, I was coaching at Radnor last night, and I've been coaching these kids for like, two years and it just came up last night. They had no, no idea like any of my right. history. So I realized that like, you know, this game moves quick and, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> telling stories, it, it's, it might not resonate for everybody, but yeah, you know, the bulk of my pro career came in the MLL, uh, which was, you know, the pro league at the time before, before the PLL came to, came to be. And, um, you know, I was, this probably the biggest break for me playing and, Doc is to credit because of this, but Doc, similar situation as Grant and I, I used to go to Doc's camps as a kid, you know, his be the ball goalie schools and so on and so forth. He was on the very tail end of his career in New York and, you know, was influential in New York drafting me at that point out of Penn State. I think I was maybe the third goalie that was taken. It wasn't like I was, you know, a hot, hot commodity coming out of college. So it's really hard to find a spot as a goalie in, in, you know, at that league at the time and as it is in the PLL because there's just a limited number of teams and spots. So Doc helped me get a foot in the door. They drafted me. Uh, he would pick me up at my mom and dad's house in Springfield and we would wow. drive up to Long Island together for a full year. We know we were doing that every weekend. Um, <laughs> and, you That's know, I have a lot of good stories to share yeah. uh, on, on those trips and, and so on and so forth. But he, he set me up for success in that league. And then, you know, I had to go and pr improve myself. Obviously, like his word wasn't good enough, but he retired the next year. And um, the other two goalers, myself and Matt McMonagle, who was a, you know, an Episcopal guy who was a Dukes guy in Cornell and Final Four. And, uh, you know, we, we battled it out. And Matt was a terrific goalie. I just think he, at that time in his life, was more focused on his career off the field. You know, he's went off and he's runs an amazing company now and, you know, was just, you know, ready for the next chapter. So it was kind of mine to step into and embrace. And I did. And yeah, the rest is history. I played, I think 11, yeah, 11 years there and three in the PLL and, you know, have great stories from every season, um, regardless of, you know, where we ended up. You and Brian Doherty in a car once a week for yeah. a year. I like to be a God fly on the wall yeah. to listen to those. Yeah, conversations. I mean, we have very, for as good of friends we are, we have very different personalities. If you know us both, so uh, you know, I 
at early on, I was like, oh, this is how you're successful. Like, you've got to be like Doc is, right? And yeah. then I quickly learned I can't do the things that Doc does. But you're not. I mean, yeah. you're not like him at all. Yeah, I'm not. And I, I, you know, I learned that. And that was part of me understanding, all right, there's different ways you can go about this. Like, I could play in this league. Different ways to lead, like you said. Ex yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, yeah, but we, yeah, we had some great trips. I mean, he ta taught me a lot on the field, but off, off the field as well. And um, I, I owe him a lot um, for that. What did he teach you on the field? So on the field, he played with just a presence. Um, I think even to this day, like there's not, I mean, maybe Blaze to a degree plays with a little swag, but um, not not to the degree that Doc did. Um, you know, he was one of a kind when it came to just that presence he had, the swagger that he played with, his like, you know, just blind carelessness when it came to trash talking. He's always talking. Yeah, always, yeah. always. He was talking on our show. Like, yeah, Gosh. oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's just, talking tr trash yeah. to me the other day, and I was like, I was <laughs> yeah. not prepared for it. Yeah, I mean, that's what you, lo you love about him. You hate, you know, depending, you might hate it at times. But, like, um, yeah, I think he taught me just to play with that confidence. And, like, it, it um, you know, I showed it in a different way. Like, I'm never as loud or as, as bolsterous as Doc is, but, like, quiet confidence um, you know, he helped ins instill in me and, uh, yeah, I still, I think that was just, I mean, you get to that level and skill is one thing, but just that demeanor and the, you know, your confidence that, Hey, I can actually do this. I can do it well. Like that's what starts to separate guys. And he helps, um, he helped me with that a lot. He influenced so many young successful goalies, Nico Amato, LaSalle product went to Maryland. Yeah. If it wasn't for Doc training that kiddo, we don't win a couple state championships with Nico holding down the fort when they were just fantastic players on the field, but he was the difference maker in the end. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Nico had an unbelievable run at LaSalle. Un unbelievable. I, he might have played in four Final Fours at Maryland or three. I mean, he was a, a stud. And, yeah, I mean, Doc, I've seen it firsthand, like how influential he was with Nico, but just at, with young goalies in general. Um, we do our, our camps and, and whatnot together and you just see it and the, you know, to his credit, he builds a family and a community like him and Nico are still friends. They talk, right. He was a coach doc and myself are good friends. I was a player at his camp, a goalie right? community, he, a goalie community. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome. And it's really a great support system to have. And, um, I think it's, it's been super helpful and you see a lot of kids have went through his, you know, his programs go on to be successful and it's not a you know, fluke. I mean, it's, it's, you know, he, he, he does it in a way that gets good results you mentioned your final years were in the pll what was the transition like from the mll to the pll big difference similarities it was because it was a reset for me late in my career right like i was established in the mll you know was at the tail end of my career was you know a year away or two maybe from retiring at that point so to just kind of upend that and almost start from scratch to a degree was was challenging um i also had a bit of a different mentality like you know, I made that jump in part, not just thinking of things on the field, but off the field as well. Like I wanted to try and be a part of something different that hopefully kept the game moving in the right direction, you know, for the next decade or two decades for young players. So admittedly, I wasn't as focused at that point in my career uh, as being like the best goalie like I was for the majority of my you know time in the MLL. It was more of where can I play a role? I want to keep playing for, you know, a year or two more. Um, but I also want to just help push the league forward. I want to help the Rables do whatever they can to, you know, make this thing successful. So, um, and I, I think that was reflective, right? Like at, the, at that point in my career, I, you know, wasn't necessarily the guy anymore. Like I went to play for the Archers with, you know, Gitz, who was there at the time. And we, you know, we ended up splitting time. He was getting a lot of, a lot of PT as well. And um, I, I admittedly was, was was okay okay with that. Um, I think in hindsight, I wish I would have pushed a little harder because you don't get it back. But at the time, um, I was okay with it and really just excited and proud to be a part of this next wave of lacrosse and and and, and professional league. And Coach Bates, Coach Resch, again. I, yeah, I mean that. Don't have enough time to talk about how great it was playing with those guys. Uh, Coach Bates recruited me to Drexel. Um, I remember going to Drexel with my parents, and you know, sitting in the locker room with him and him, him telling the story about, you know, just about that that culture and community. So again, like man, I just feel like I've had so many of these full circle moments. Uh, and that Coach Coach Bates is another. And then Coach, I mean Coach Rush. You know, words can't describe Coach Rush. Uh, you know, like like you, Coach Lay. I mean, playing against you guys for so many years, you guys have this this aura, and you had this aura at LaSalle, and um, you know, to be able to then 
play for Coach Resch uh, was just really special, especially at that chapter in my career. Um, we always had a bond. Like the Philly guys have always stuck together. I remember being down in Charlotte when he was coaching there in a hotel and we bump into each other. We talk, we catch up, we reminisce and like all the Philly guys stay tight and coach Rash and I stayed tight over the years. Um, but we're always playing against each other. So then to get a few years with him and just, I mean, he's just the best coach you could imagine, especially defensively, but you know, just with the culture that he instills and admittedly my best times with coach Rash. We're like in our long car rides, our flights, you know, we would just talk, catch up, talk, you know, Philly lacrosse and uh, was really impactful. So many great shout outs there and great coaches that you've interacted with. Uh, what about the top shooters you've ever faced? If we had to narrow that down. Yeah. So this is a hard, hard list. I've given up a lot of goals <laughs> <laughs> over the, over the years. Uh, the one that comes to mind and more recently, Rob Pinnell, and he's not a shooter that's going to, you know, he's not the guy that's like known as an intimidating shooter, but he's just like super efficient. Um, the one thing that makes Rob such a good shooter is that he shoots the ball as hard as he can, no matter where he at, is at on the field. So some attackmen will, you know, beat their guy and they come in one on one on the goalie and, you know, they try to be a little delicate with it. Rob will just fire the ball from, you know, his toes on the crease and it that just that little extra bit. And I haven't seen many guys, you know, that that have that strategy um just makes it really hard and um you know he he was always has always had my number fortunately we were teammates for most of the time so so that was good i remember and this is an mll um time but he's still playing kyle hartzell pole um you know we would play and he would cross the midline and pro is different because there's the two-point arc so and those those two-point goals first they make the goalie feel terrible because like you're you know expected to save them a lot of the times but secondly they're real big momentum swings uh in a game when you can, you can get two for one so kyle would cross the midline and i would just yell to the defense like go get him get him get him and it would throw guys off because they would be like well why he's you know 30 yards away from the goal or whatever it was but i i always uh struggled with his his great shot, answer his so release. far yeah Penelope. scaring me oh, yeah wow. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, my third would just be not anyone in individual, but the Canadians, um, yeah. because they, you know, they just are crafty. They have a different way of shooting, hiding their stick. And, you know, we're always, we're always tough. I would say advice for younger goalies or younger players from a goalie would be, you know, to just be as like diverse as possible when you're shooting technique and strategy guys that you would think were great shooters um i didn't think were because they were predictable right they could shoot the ball really really well but maybe they could only do it one way right they would dodge down a right alley and shoot to the bottom left hand corner and it was like clockwork right so no matter how good they could do that a good goal is going to start to pick up that tendency um whereas a lot of the best shooters and the guys i just mentioned they just mix it up right a little bit of everything um you couldn't pick up that tendency which made it that much harder I like the, the advice, especially for uh, someone that does a lot of offensive drills, you know, mix it up and be unpredictable. I love that. Amazing journey, fantastic career. How did you know it was time to walk away? Yeah, you never really know. I mean, I didn't have a defining moment where I just said, hey, this is it. I mean, it had been in the back of my mind for a couple of years. I wanted to be a part of the move to the PLL and, you know, see, see what that experience was like. And I'm really fortunate and glad that I did. Uh, but for me, it was not the game itself. It was what else, right? I had going on like my, my kids, five and three, they were just really at ages that I didn't want to miss more of. Um, man, pro lacrosse is tough because it's every summer weekend. Um, and those summer weekends in particular are special. Uh, and those usually involve being away for three, three days, um, sometimes longer. So, you know, just that, that time away was tough, but then the mental part too, right? You don't, you know, at, at the end of my career, I felt that it was more transactional, right? I would show up, I would practice, I would play, I would leave. And that my, you know, the headspace in between was focused elsewhere, right? Like Monday through Thursday, it was, Hey, what's going on at work? What are the kids doing? And ultimately I think it was, you know, I evaluated that and I just said, it, you know, one, it's, it's not fair to anybody in this equation, right? Like my heart's not solely in it. My kids are, you know, hanging, hanging at home when I'm away. And then my teammates too, right? Like you, I wanted, I, you know, embraced being a good teammate who was in 24 seven, wanted to be, you know, part of the team on a Tuesday morning to, you know, and not just show up on the weekends. And 
it, it started to become harder for me to do that at the end. And that's when I knew it was, you know, time to, time to move on. When Coach Rush asked me at school, who's our next guy on the podcast? And I said, Drew Adams. He said, you're going to like that guy. <laughs> Humble, wise. I think you've brought us uh, he's all the, the way home here with he's the best. lived up to his, yeah. his kind words. Yeah, it was great to get to know you a little bit better there, Drew. Uh, thanks so much for the time and candid answers and um, so many thoughtful shout outs, too. So hopefully our listeners will uh, learn a ton there. Let's move on to today's rapid fire next homework. Drew, this is where we're going to give out some homework for our listening audience, our players, parents, and coaches. Um, give us something for players. Uh, so, so players, it's um, find, find your role. Right? I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but find your role on the team. Right, You don't need to be the, the best player to be the most impactful on a team. And I think everyone always strives to be the best and get better, 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 better. And that's great, and you know that'll lead to certain things, but you can still have a really you know, uh, outsized impact on the success of a team by not being the best player um, and, and on people too, right? Like some of my long lasting friends and um, most impactful teammates have not been the guys that were scoring the game winning goal or, you know, the takeaway defenseman and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, for a young player, it's just understand that, right? Like put in time to work on your craft, strive to be as best as you can, but realize there's more, um, you know, to what you can contribute than just, you know, what you're doing between the lines. How about for parents who are listening? So parents, you know, it's that, that unconditional support. Um, you know, don't put too many expectations on kids too early on. Um, you realize that lacrosse is just a game and it's, it's really just a tool to, you know, for, for, for kids and honestly adults, depending on what level you play at, to, you know, to evolve, right? It's like, it's one of those things where you can learn so many great lessons from being a part of a team, from, from playing, from competing and, and, and lacrosse in particular. But as a parent, you need to have that more holistic mindset and just realize that you should view it as a tool for your kids to, you know, better themselves and better the people around them. And you should um, approach it that way yourself and have that unconditional support and realize that um, that's more important than you know, any feedback you could give them around, you know, how hard they're hustling on the field. And lastly, for coaches who are listening. Coaches, I think, and from my perspective, it's all about just the development of, the, of a person. Um, I mentioned Coach Friel. Like, I, I remember being a sophomore at Springfield, just very unsure and uncertain of myself. And Coach Friel just instilled, like, an unwavering confidence because he – you know, I could just feel that he had my back at all times. Like he would make subtle things like, all right, we're going to do this, that, and then Drew's going to make the save and we'll clear it. Right. And just that little thing. I don't even know if he noticed doing it, but to me, I'm sitting there like, Oh, like this guy, trust me, like this is good. And, um, you know, I think coaches just need to have more of that. Right. They, they need to have, um, you know, they need to act and communicate in a way that, that gets that, you know, instills that, that trust in their, in their players and instills that confidence in their players. And, um, sometimes, you know, even if it's, you know, <laughs> even if it's false at times and it's just presented as that, uh, I think can help, you know, help your players and help your team take steps in the right direction and ultimately see those things come, come to fruition. Are you reading or listening to anything special these days? Uh, I, I'm all over the, 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 um, you know, the spectrum with that. Uh, on my way here, I was, I, well, I mean, with music these days, you can get these playlists. Uh, um, I listen to Spotify, so I, it's a feel-good playlist, it's called. But the Funkadelic was the, like the group. It. Uh, the song was Can You Get That? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sick. I listen to it on repeat <laughs> here. Uh, you know, so that that was uh, close, close to heart on the way here. And then I read a bunch. I mean, I read uh, every day I, across the you know, array of books, depending on, you know, what, what, what mood I'm in. Um, one that I would recommend, uh, for younger players and maybe, you know, uh, as you get a little older, it's, uh, called meditations. It's a book, uh, that's been refactored over the years, but it was based on the journals of, uh, Marcus Aurelius, who, um, you know, with famous, uh, Roman, uh, general and, or not even general, I don't even king or 
whatever they call him at that point. Um, but it's a philosophy book. He was the philosopher king is what they referred to him as. Uh, a lot of those nuggets remind me of Coach Resch. It sounds like he could be writing that book too. Um, but that was a book like I keep and at, throughout my playing career would, would travel with. And you could open a page and just, oh, all right, like, you know, kind of calms you, puts things in perspective. Um, so might, you know, be a little much for like a middle schooler, but definitely high school, college. If anyone's listening, I would suggest that book. There's some good, good takeaways. Deep, stoic ending <laughs> worth every minute of, of our interview. <laughs> Love it. Uh, thank you so much, Drew. Uh, one of the all-time lacrosse goalies, definitely one of the classiest guys in the sport. Just wanted to thank you for how you've represented both uh, the 19064 and Philly lacrosse over your long and storied career. It's really incredible just to kind of read the articles and go through the memories there. Um, this conversation was a treat for me, for Coach Leahy, and I'm sure our audience will be better for it. We're signing off from the next office in Conshohocken. So on behalf of our producer, Justin, co-host Bill Leahy, this is Coach Coop, Deande Nose. Smooth. I think he's going to take both of our jobs. This is smooth. That was fun, guys. Thanks, Mark.